Welcome to Local Listens. Welcome to Local Listens. You're listening to Local Listens. You're listening to Local Listens. Local Listens. Welcome to Local Listens. Welcome to Local Listens. Welcome to Local Listens. Local Listens. Hey, my friends, welcome back. And today I am truly honored, truly, truly honored. Someone I can call a genuine inspiration for myself on this podcast, this brand new adventure that I began about a month ago. And you've probably heard of him. Let me introduce you to my friend who, funny enough, in 2020, when I started listening to a lot of podcasts, I was listening to this one particular guy and I was like, wow, definitely vibe with him. He sounds familiar. He sounds like the way that my friends talk. There was just something very familiar. And then eventually it was revealed he lives about 40 minutes away from me. And I was like, man, it all makes sense. We grew up in the same area. And this particular gentleman is very well versed in synchronicity. He's a cannabis enjoyer, a conspiracy commentator. You could say he's a symbolic surfer in this crazy, crazy time. And I'm very excited to get into it with Mark Palmer Steves Jr., the creator of My Family Thinks I'm Crazy and more, which we'll get into. So welcome, buddy. How's it going, man? Wow. Awesome. Thank you. First time anyone's ever called me a surfer and used my first, my whole, whole name in a, in a podcast. So awesome. Really glad to be here. And people can call me Mystic Mark. I usually go by Mystic Mark. Mystic Mark. Right on, right on. Well, it's pretty funny. You know, I've heard you joke about being referred to as like, you know, the full title. It's kind of like that whole Robert Anton Wilson conundrum where it's like, you know, the longer your name is, the funkier people get. But it's pretty cool, man. You're a very grounded individual and I've always enjoyed listening to you. And it was ironically crazy to figure out how close you were. And I'm really glad we got to get together, but I've been waiting for uh, a long time to ask you this this question, man. And this is a question inspired partially by you and partially by Gordon White of Rune Soup, who always asks every guest, were you a weird kid at the beginning of every show? And when I first met you, Mark, you gave me great advice to just kind of follow my own path, do my own thing. So this question is definitely inspired from your words of wisdom, which I've taken directly to my heart here. So Mark, when did you start to speak your truth? Mm, okay, cool. I like that take on the question. I started to, I mean, I was always very vocal about my thoughts and stuff to the right people. Um, I liked learning about things and then talking about those things, particularly animals, science, all those things that were in, you know, kids' books and whatnot. I didn't like the dinosaurs so much mm-hmm. or, like, the transportation. A lot of young boys get into, like, trucks and all right. kinds Tonka of stuff trucks. like that. Yeah. yeah, I was more into, like, animals and things like that. And everybody always was like, oh, this kid's smart. And, I, you know, I was just a nerd. I knew that. I was, like, pretty, pretty sure I wasn't a jock or anything like that. But I, I've never been uh, someone who got along with other... Uh, nerds either for some reason. So yeah, people always told me like, Oh, you you know, you're smart, you're a smart kid. And eventually my interests started getting weirder and weirder. I started getting into UFOs, paranormal things, 
uh, war, espionage, mm. just things that aren't normal, maybe we'll say for middle school to elementary school age interests. And um, for a while, I was pretty content and happy with uh, with where I was at. I mean, I had friends and we did we fucked around. We did silly stuff. I'm sorry for for cursing. Oh, no, please to your show. Free, I don't know. If, yeah, yeah. This is going to be a fucking great time. It's great to just speak your truth, you know, yeah, cool, however cool. it happens to come out. Well, you know, you said earlier, you know, your friends talk like I do. You know how we are in Connecticut. We you can, know, you know. Yeah, but it, it definitely it definitely felt like, um, you know, I was sort of unique in the sense that not a lot of people resonated with my interests when I was younger. Mm. I had some friends where there was common ground, but for the most part, I didn't feel comfortable speaking my truth and I didn't even understand what my truth was mm. until well, only like four or five years ago. I'm like 27 now. So it was, I usually trace it back to like, oh, when I started smoking weed, that's when the veil was lifted. But truly it was kind of three or four years into it mm. when I really became confident in speaking my truth because it started to really resonate with other people. So it's hard to nail down an exact age date or time period, but I definitely, I definitely started connecting in a way that I noticed other people didn't with cannabis. Mm. And I mm. think that's really where, the real work began right introspective on. work and just fueling this curiosity and for all this types, you know, things that are outside of the normal, what you would see even in a library. I mean, it's hard mm -hmm. to find cool books in a library, unfortunately, but like, you know, not every college has these kind of courses that you might be able to get educated in mm. listening to a podcast like this. So although I wasn't listening to podcasts back then, I would find all different books in different genres at used bookstores. And I like the ancient aliens TV show. So I found a lot nice. of books to back up what I was seeing in that mm. show. And I started to become a little disillusioned with that because the books were, were definitely a little over my uh, head as far as like technical Mm. mathematical physics that kind of stuff but what i really picked up on was the spiritual the energetic the historical the cultural side of it you know never really been all that interested in like oh well the physical specs of the pyramid are such and such and mm. that means that you know this right. could have only been built by you know that sort of thing never was interested in, mm. but the the part where human beings connect to that whole weird supernatural paranormal world, that was very real to me because I noticed as a martial artist, just the difference that that made between me and my peers, mm. because taking on that discipline, doing something that put me outside of maybe the pecking order of bullies and jocks <laughs> and that sort of thing. Right. And brought me just a sort of wide brush respect. Like a lot mm. of people who might not have had any respect for me at all. And rightly so I was just another peer, you know, I wasn't 
some big ego that thought everyone needed to respect me, mm. but there's a, you know, nobody wants to be the inverse of that, which is like ultimately disrespected, right? Everybody right. wants to find their group, even if it's a small group, even if it's the kids that nobody talks to, everybody wants to find. So I had that, but within that group of friends, there were a lot of like people like me who came from homes that weren't perfect, you know, mm. like my parents fought and stuff. So same. I had that, that same kind of like edge, in my relationships, even though I was only a teenager, right? Like you sort of play out those home dynamics with your friends. And that led to some fights, which got me into martial arts. And mm. then once I became kind of proficient at martial arts to some degree, at least compared to other high school students, I'm not <laughs> trying to sit here and, and challenge anybody. It's good to be confident. Um, but, you know, I was I was proficient and it gave me like a sense of confidence that other people respected. So really, it was that plus cannabis that allowed me to really speak my truth in a confident way, because I was always speaking my truth in a sort of sarcastic mm. way. Like I, I tried to be like the joke kind of like I tried to be humorous and that led me with, you know, I could, you know go and ramble about this all day but to be real brief i'm not saying i i do or don't have a sense of humor but i think like the type of sense of humor i had at that age got me into fights right mm. so martial arts kind of like straightened <laughs> me up a little bit and now i've pulled it in a little bit now i know to to only talk like that to people you know and love <laughs> oh i totally hear you man learning discernment is very tough and i'm i'm someone who's very impulsive and i will like speak very quickly so i can totally hear you on that and you brought up a lot of interesting points on martial arts and there's a couple things i want to ask and i'm going to lump this to like one coherent question i i promise you but let me start with this what we have in common, Mark, is that we were uh, both on the wrestling team when we were in high school. Um, I didn't pursue martial arts as far as you have, but it's interesting that I can relate to what you're saying in that something that my old wrestling coach would always tell us is that wherever your mind goes, your body follows. And it's really interesting that honing that edge that we come into the wrestling gym with, well, that is a product of our our mindset and it could be also a spiritual connection so i'm curious i've heard you speak about bruce lee and his connection to the Tao. you happen to be wearing a shirt with the yin yang on it which is pretty cool we noted that earlier it's a funny synchronicity and um i want to ask you what is a sifu or rather who is a sifu and how does this individual play a role in your development as both a martial artist and just someone who is you know, weaving through this philosophical landscape? Well, Sifu is one of many names that is like a term of respect in martial arts. So some people would probably know Sensei hmm. best, right? right? Sensei is like the pop culture version of Sifu. Sensei, I think, is Japanese. Sifu might be Chinese. Uh, don't don't correct me on that. Yeah, yeah, don't fact check me on that. But Sifu was what my teacher, my instructor referred to himself as. And I honestly, I never called him Sifu, mm. ever. I called him, I always called him Ryan. Nice. Because he was really down to earth. 
he was a really cool guy. I knew him from a young age. Like my instructor, I always used to call my boss too, Mm. Ryan, my boss, because where I'm from, where we're from, there's a sort of like, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Like a blue collar sort of sensibility of like, you know, pride in your work, you know, and like doing a good job and like earning your boss's respect, that kind Mm. of thing. So that was instilled in me and my father and from my father and my dad, you know, he definitely, you know, didn't get any respect. I owe him a whole bunch of respect, but I was a very Mm. disrespectful uh, young man. So, but I, I, in return, gave that respect to other men in that, you know, time of my life that mm. I saw father figure aspects in. And Ryan was one of those people because a, he was younger than my dad. He was mm. more approachable than my dad. And he's a badass. you know, he's a black belt in jujitsu. He's a kickboxer. He's done a couple amateur MMA fights. Nice. So, and it was always a very laid back sort of um, place that he worked out of. Like the first studio we were in, was kind of small and then he kind of upgraded to a bigger studio. So I, I mm. felt close to him. I didn't feel like he was like some untouchable Sifu, like you'd see in like a martial arts movie where there's like a bunch of people and you're training under the Sifu's. Like, yeah. They're up on a know. pedestal a, a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, in, in, you know, big schools, it's way more uh, of a hierarchy. Like I'm sure mm. Eddie Bravo, right. He's the, the head honcho of 10th planet jujitsu. But yep. if you sign up to a 10th planet school, he's not going to teach you as a white belt. Yeah, Maybe when yeah. you get to black belt, you might go to one of his courses, but so that always like really helped. And I loved what you said earlier about, um, and you had a great coach because he said, you know, where your mind goes, your body follows. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing you learn as a martial artist. And that's something that my Sifu Ryan really taught me was like visualize yourself winning visualize yourself doing the move visualize yourself doing the kick whatever it is see it in your mind's eye before you do it and you'll you'll start to develop really an ease Mm. with this stuff that's the point because life is dis-ease right we're just accumulating dis-ease that's all of life and a fight is like turning up the speed throttle on that times like 16 right absolutely you're you're causing entropy you're hurting yourself and another person it's a lot of chaos yeah it's something that you'd only do is a last resort as a real Mm. martial artist obviously as a sport martial artist you put yourself through you know a lot of that entropy and damage and and you realize like oh wow i'm a lot more durable than i thought my body can take a lot more than i thought and you start to become tough. You start to sharpen yourself up like steel, you know? Mm. So I think that when people look at martial arts, they think like, wow, my body could never do that. And they're right because their mind is already stopping them. Exactly. It's, it has nothing to do with their body. It's that initial. All starts here. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you know that as a wrestler, you know, that like the, the second you put your foot on that mat, to wrestle you either already won or you already lost and mm-hmm. there are some schools when they get in the building they already won or they already lost you know absolutely they just bring that energy with them and they just they're just killers you know or they have a reputation because their school's champions for years and years and you know xavier high school i think is like that in i remember yeah 
Yeah, they, they would carry them scary very profoundly. Like, and we would call them hammers too. Like, they would walk <laughs> in, and it's like everyone is like a nail, and they're like the hammers, and they walk in oh, and they yeah. kind of own the place. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They were tough. They were tough for sure. I did not win my match against Xavier, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely that kind of thing, you know. And at that age, I didn't have the same uh, appreciation for spirituality that mm-hmm. I do now, so I wasn't you know, a great wrestler. Honestly, I was the captain of my team. I was able to train. I was able to teach others how to be great to some degree. Mm. But my personal issue was when I put my foot on the mat, you know, I, as much as I could visualize everything in practice and I can excel at practice, whatever it was about being on the mat made me nervous. And for someone who was like me, who has vision impairment, you can't tell because I wear contacts now. I can see fine. It's not like a, I have a, like a vision disability or anything, but I, I wear glasses, right? So right. when I'm a when I was a wrestler, I didn't have contact lenses and I couldn't wear my glasses in a match. So mm. it was just me and the other person, three feet mm. in front of me, four feet in front of me, max vision. <laughs> so everything else was kind of closed off, but in the same sense that kind of didn't like i don't know i've always thought about that like i wonder if it helped or it hurt Mm. that i couldn't see other people but i think the fact is that it didn't help because i was always worried about i I was in my head too much about other people and what i should have done was just focus right on that match and on that person and that's it and i learned to do that more as i wrestled you know senior year we were the champions of our division in the state i didn't uh, have a championship record but i continued doing martial arts for about three or four years after high school nice. uh, until i broke my wrist skateboarding Yikes. and uh since then i've just sort of done martial arts here and there nothing professional ever nothing really even amateur just kind of training but i was an instructor at my uh sifu's you know, uh, dojo, we can right call on. it nice. <laughs> to not nice. Americanize yeah. it all. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was cool. You know, I was teaching kids classes. I was teaching adults that were older than me. And mm. I realized like, Oh, I'm pretty good at communicating ideas. And then once I stopped doing martial arts, those ideas that I had started to become more about the world, UFOs, right. psychedelics, conspiracy theories, and I still have those same communication skills, I guess, True. because a lot of people like listening <laughs> to the show. So, yeah, it's just funny how it all kind of blended together like this in this interesting way. But, right on, um, man. Right on. But yeah, I, I definitely credit wrestling for giving me a sense of discipline. Um, right. You know, I, uh, there are so many more disciplined wrestlers than me. For sure. sure. Yeah, but yeah. I, I definitely think that there's a certain level of sport that other sports don't achieve just because of the rules that they apply. Like yeah. Wrestling is literally one-on-one, mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing in between you and the other person. People and underestimate that too. Like those yeah. six minutes that you're on that, like you're, you're in like a bubble, kind of like when you were talking about the uh, vision, it's like, you know, you might not be able to hear or see what's going on outside of that that wrestling match because you're you're in this microcosm and you're like definitely like way in the moment. 
And it's kind of cool because it kind of it reminds me of what you say at the end of your episodes, you know, wherever you are in the now. And it's kind of cool. And I want to ask you about an ally or perhaps two allies, uh, cannabis and tobacco. Now, I've heard uh, interesting stories about Mr. Bruce Lee, who was a cannabis enjoyer. And there's definitely a stigma about it, Mark, right? Like people might assume things. Maybe it's changing now because times have changed quite a lot for the cannabis industry and things of that nature. But I'm curious, what did you think about learning the fact that Bruce Lee, who is someone that a lot of martial artists look up to, um, you know, he wasn't afraid to talk about his cannabis use. And now it's, um, I've heard you speak about this, uh, this concept, which I find very interesting that cannabis can be referred to as the uh, feminine spirit. And then tobacco is like the masculine spirit. And the way that I understand that is kind of like, Cannabis can open you up and like help you be more receptive and then tobacco can help you stay focused and like get shit done. You know what I mean? Like, do you see it the same way and how does it all tie into the, uh, the principles, the values or any of the philosophy behind Taoism or your understanding of, uh, you know, the martial arts world? So as far as I know, Bruce Lee never used can- uh, tobacco, Interesting, uh, but he definitely used cannabis that's written in his books by his own, you know, in his own words. So there's definitely evidence for that. As far as the tobacco that I'm currently smoking, it's not pure. It's not like the tobacco spirit that we learn about in like traditional ceremonies, you know, using these plant allies they'll use a different strain of tobacco mm-hmm. than what they typically use for cigarettes and, and blunts and all that. So as much as I'd love to like, you know, pretend like, Oh yeah, I'm communing with the tobacco spirit. Mm-hmm. It, it really is like a very like uh, refined sort of melt boiled down version of it. Yeah, I guess yeah. you could say, I mean, right. it's still in the tobacco plant mm-hmm. family. It's still tobacco. It's just not like this, super potent psychedelic tobacco that they mm-hmm. have in, you know, the, the equator regions, right? right. Like Ma- Amazon Pacho in Peru. Yeah. yeah. Pacho. Yeah. And that, that's all around South America. They probably have it in uh, Mexico as well, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, you know, it's definitely something that I learned about and I learned to be respectful of. So even though I, you know, can't say I'm smoking like pure tobacco, I think there's still, value in honoring the plant ally the plant spirit even though maybe it's been you know polluted so Mm. to some degree by the you know corporate powers it's still got a spirit worth honoring so yeah yeah, i I definitely think that that you know how that fits into taoism taoism tells us that everything's alive tells us that you know follow the way what's the way well the way is your way right so this was my way you know and that's what I think the podcast really is best at explaining because people don't listen if they don't want to. Right. Mm -hmm. So like my way doesn't work for everybody and I'm not forcing it on anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no like subscription fee to like, you know, get my next podcast in the mail next month and you get it and you're like, Oh crap, this sucks. You know, like (laughs) why did I sign up for this? (laughs) Yeah. You tune in. And if you like what you see and you like, mm. you know, maybe want to get more. We got bonus content, that kind mm. of thing. When I first started going onto Patreon, uh, 
the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy Patreon was the first ever Patreon that I've ever contributed to. And I think that's very special because I found your podcast in 2020 when I had not much to do. I was like locked down, you know, I didn't have a job and I was like, wow, this is a show that I can relate to because my family thinks that I'm crazy or people call me loco all the time. And so I found uh, a lot of solace in your show, Mark. And it's pretty cool that you're promoting something that not many people would typically promote, which is that, and you openly talk about how you don't really watch movies or you don't watch TV, but you love books and you uh, are very proud of your library. And one person in particular that really stood out to me was uh, Peter Shampoo because he talks about ley lines. And I almost forgot at one point what ley lines were. And then hearing your show, I was like, oh yeah, I remember hearing about these lines in the in the earth. And you would bring up Peter Shampoo quite a lot to various guests. And then eventually you were able to interview Mr. Shampoo, which I thought was really rad. So congrats, man. But would you like to uh, fill us in? Because there's something in particular that stood out to me recently when I was hiking um, around, you know, the Fairfield County area. And you always kind of notice sometimes, maybe it's just in New England or this colonial area, that there could be stone walls in the middle of nowhere. Like, people say these stone structures were put up to divide farmland. And I'm not sure if this relates to ley lines or what Peter Shampoo speaks about, but... In general, I respect the fact that you've been looking into the local area, and I'm, I'm curious what's been going on with that lately. Have you been uh, continuing your uh, journey with these ley lines? Have you been looking at a particular area recently? Like, what's been going on with that? Yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing this up. I definitely haven't found a great explanation yet for the different stone structures across New England. There. Are, traditional explanations that farmers built all of them. And then there's also the Native American stories about each of these various types of stone structures. Because there's the walls that people might say are all fences. But Mm. to your point, some of these fences exist in places where you wouldn't think that they're fenced. Why are they fencing something in on a on a ridge why are the rocks going up the ridge like this and then over the mountain you know it seems more like this is a ley line or some kind of travel Mm. boundary maybe or some sort of way for people to distinguish hey this is our land this is your land or you know essentially what they're saying is the same thing but i just don't buy that the colonists are responsible for that solely like native americans could have been using them for farmland too. Native Americans were farming. They just didn't have the same variety of, um, you know, planted crops that the colonists had. They had a way larger variety of vegetables. They're just really good at wild harvesting them. Mm. And they realized like probably that, hey, these wild harvested plants are a lot better and more nutritious than when we go and take all of one type of thing and put it in a field in a patch, right and on, then, you yeah. know, this monoculture type. Yeah. Monocropping is awful, man. Yeah. 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 And, and I, so I don't think that our understanding of native Americans is a full and B mm. uh, free of bias. Right? right. Cause there's a lot of bias when it comes to the new England colonial situation. Mm. And, you know, people think about the witch trials and stuff, but 
the Native Americans were considered doing black magic too. So mm-hmm. it's like these Puritans just believed everything that wasn't like this strict form of Christianity. They believed right. it was witchcraft, you know? And Quick question on that, by the way. Yeah. There's a particular area called Devil's Den that I've heard you speak about. Yeah. And it's that kind of relates to the same thing, right? The devil wasn't, you know, I mean, it was, uh, well, maybe I should let you explain Devil's Den and what you've learned about it. Well, it's just that it's the name of a place, you know, it's a mm-hmm. den, probably in the rocks i've been there but i don't quite remember if we actually went to the den or not Mm. i don't know there might be like a cave somewhere there i yeah yeah it's a cave yeah but these places were sacred to the native americans and they Mm. would you know not all of them were sacred so to speak but Mm. let's say there was a place where Native Americans in this area got together and danced around a fire and drummed on a drum. Gathering area, yeah. Yeah, right. Let's say they were doing something like that. It doesn't necessarily mean that that was their one and only sacred space. Mm -hmm. But if a Puritan person came along and saw that in the night through the woods, they saw shadows of people dancing, holding tomahawks and bow and arrows and stuff, they might be like, oh, crap, those people are devils, right? Right. part of what their worldview was like. Mm. So everything that the Native Americans, you know, have their footprints uh, or fingerprints on, the Puritans just called devil, devil this, devil that. So if you go to any place, and even, you know, this probably is true for most of the country, I'd imagine. Mm. Um, You know, a lot of the places in the United States were named between the, you know, 16 and 1800s when Mm. this sort of, ideology was really strong and it still was up until world war ii and the 60s i mean Mm. even after the 60s and the you know the equality movement we really i have trouble saying that because the native americans still aren't really considered equal they're all on reservations and stuff Mm. so you know this is a kind of um it's like it's like a form of of word magic, you know. They yeah. try to like take the power away from them by just considering it all evil. Because honestly, like the Native Americans probably are responsible for even helping the colonists take root in the first place. Because that yeah. you know the Native Americans would have been trading with much ancient cultures, so they mm. definitely knew that this place was here. And then on top of that, there's stories of the Massachusetts colony, right? Mm-hmm. Where the Native Americans literally helped them get through several winters. Yeah. Same thing in, in uh, Virginia. There was a story about the Roanoke colony. And, mm-hmm. you know, these people were like pretty much just like, oh, yeah, we're going to interchange with this tribe because why not? We're all humans. Mm-hmm. And the English didn't like that. And that's just how the empire usually is. They subjugate what is different. Yes, so they do. That's Mm -hmm. unfortunately what's continued on to this day. And, you know, the more they keep casting certain things as evil, the less people Mm. uh, become interested in them up until maybe like the 1940s and 50s when things become inverted alchemically and now death and all this like stuff is like sensationalized, you know, like satanic music, devil worshipers, things like that, you know, it's true. I don't know how true all of that is. Like if there's actual satanic cults or people that worship the devil, but it's kind of like an ironic thing to think Mm. that like 
maybe the Native Americans' curses have, uh, you know, <laughs> come back point, to, yeah. to get us in some way. Right. It's like re-manifested itself into our very culture. It's like an infiltration of sorts. Right. But let me uh, circle back to Peter Shampoo because some people might not be familiar. They might they may not even know what a ley line is, but you've done a lot of great work on that. And uh, again, like I said, man, it was really cool that you got to interview and an author that is such an inspiration to you. And you've definitely inspired me to look at a map and be like, hey, where is this parallel? What's going on here and there? So take me back to uh, when you spoke to Peter Shampoo. You know, what stands out to you from that interaction and everything leading up to it that got you interested in ley lines in the first place? Yeah, you know, the the story is pretty interesting. It's definitely personal it's a story that involves my girlfriend and I and how we met and what we did, you know, what we've done so far and all the things that we've been exploring together. There are several places that we went to that we would find a book. And, and what was interesting is one book seemed to lead to another. Mm-hmm. Like we, we found this book about the medicine wheel and it was right around this time when we were like, looking for these sorts of stone sorts of uh, placements and alignments, you know, in Connecticut, we were kind of learning about this and I forget which guest was talking about it, but I had someone on my show and it just, yeah, it came up and also the Tartaria thing became really popular around the beginning of 2020 and 2021 and Mm. it still is very popular i'm very interested in it i might not be the most uh believe you know i'm more of a skeptic but i still yeah i still like talking about it so anyways we're you know tara and i are interested in exploring and finding cool places finding places in a synchro mystic kind of way Mm. and what would happen was as we would enter these sort of spirit energy portal places that we would go to on the map, we didn't realize what was happening was we were like being handed the information to understand it. So Mm. the first book, like I said, was the medicine wheel book, which kind of corresponded with a book, the animal speak book, which Mm. we spent a lot of time reading together. Uh, And then after the medicine wheel book, we found a book called spirit in the stone, Hmm. right? And the spirit in the stone book, what was most interesting about that was we went to Woodstock because of a, a a conversation we had with Aurora, Hmm. a woman uh, that was on my podcast episode 56, I think. Mm -hmm. And she told us that Woodstock in New York, is like a portal. It's like a sacred energy vortex, kind of like what they have in Sedona. Hmm. So that got us curious, and we went there for a little day trip just randomly. And we went to Maharabi, some kind of bookstore that's over there. There's so many little New Age stores, but Hmm. there's one good bookstore there that has like, because, you know, most used bookstores have like an occult section. Yeah, yeah. This used bookstore is all the cult books oh, section by section. So <laughs> cool. we spent, you know, at least an hour in there just looking around naturally. Um, and eventually I found a book that 
was so curious because it's about our area. You know, mm. you know, you're you're actually closer to this vortex than I am on the map. So we um, found this book, Spirit in the Stone, by Glenn mm. Kreisberg, and start looking through it. And I always do this when I'm in a bookstore. I like thumb through it to see if I'm going to buy it or not. See mm. what's interesting. Mm. See what pops out at me. And what popped out was a Hammonasset ley line, which mm. goes from Long Island's uh, point, the tip of Long Island, through Connecticut, through New York, directly through Woodstock, where we were in that mm-hmm. moment, and then all the way up to the Great Lakes. Which, yeah, Michigan. Yeah, I just talked to a guy, actually, the secret guest I was referring to. I just Ooh. talked to him about the Great Lakes today. So look at that. But anyways, so we find this book. We find the Hammonasset Ley Line, and we're like, Holy crud, where there's a there's a ley line in our <laughs> state. Let's explore it. So we drove down to where the ley line uh actually I don't know. I think we might have gone there first and realized afterwards, like, oh wow, when we went swimming, we were swimming <laughs> right where the ley line hits Amazing, the shore, yeah. you know, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. So it is cool, like this sort of synchronistic journey mm. took us to this these various books. So this book Spirit in the Stone got me talking about ley lines and really buzzed about ley lines, really jazzed about it. And you know, Michael Wan. Oh, uh, yeah. I was going to ask about him podcast next. Yeah. With. yeah, yeah. And his story, my story, synchronistically wove together. And that's kind of backing up a bit from where we are at this point in the story. But I was talking to Mike and this was actually when our podcast had already started. So we Mm. were talking about this on the podcast and he recommended that because I was interested in ley lines, I reach out to Peter Shampoo and the author of the Gaia matrix, right? Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. And then he also wrote a book called the moon river and the arc of Antaro, the moon river system, something like that. Moon rivers. So, yeah, and I would looked Peter up and saw that only one podcast had ever interviewed him. Mm. And it wasn't even like a podcast that we might listen to. It was like a kind of an obscure podcast. It's only about the Baha'i faith, which is, you know, it's not a very commonly known religion, let alone a common religion that people participate in. But it is a very, it's an international religion, and there's a lot of people who who practiced the Baha'i faith in Massachusetts, where Peter is from. So mm. I, maybe that's how it happened. But Makes I sense. guess the Baha'i religion also takes ley lines into consideration oh, somehow, cool. which is interesting. Mm. So, yeah, they talked to Peter, and I said, oh, crap. Well, he's still alive. He interviews. Let's email him. And uh, and one thing led to another, and, and I talked to him. And before I had talked to him, we drove along the ley line that he lays out. He doesn't have the Hammonasset ley line in his book, but mm. in his book he has a ley line that goes from uh, where, not where I'm from, but you know where Derby is, right? Yep, yep. So My grandmother from, used to live there. Okay, so it goes from Derby, which is like the Housatonic River, mm-hmm. straight up through to the... Uh, reservoir up in the top of the state. It's called the Barkhamstead Reservoir. Oh, Barkhamstead, yes. yes. And then it goes up to another place. The ley line goes up to another place called Shelburne Falls, Massachusetts. And mm. each point along this line 
Peter has as like uh, chakra points, right? Mm. So we go to the first chakra, the second chakra, and then up to the third chakra, which was Shelburne Falls. We didn't really have the gas money to make it all the way up to the higher chakras. The seventh chakra, I think, is in Canada. So it's definitely a big ley line. But we, we went to the third one, which is the highest one we could get to. And we got in to a used bookstore, of course, in that town. And we found a book called The Manitou Stone Mm. or The Manitou, just The Manitou. Mm. And what's interesting about that is now we have three books that all talk about New England, that all talk about stone structures. Originally, my whole question, our question, our interest was, what is up with Connecticut? What's Mm. the mystery of Connecticut? You know, Michael Wan was obviously a big inspiration talking about the Susquehanna alchemy mystery and everything going on in Pennsylvania. Mm. So I'm like, well, Connecticut, the Connecticut River, that's a big river. Let's see what's going on here. And the first thing that I learned about was the minerals, right? Mm. You got to start somewhere. Everybody has a skeleton. Your body's built off the skeleton, right? That's the base. Your, right. your skeleton's the base. So the stones, that's the base. So if you want to understand anything about any area, my guess start with the earth start with the stone figure out what that's about and then Mm. move on from there so that's kind of where all of those three books came into play and that's just through us driving randomly to places not knowing there's a used bookstore in these towns just saying hey we're gonna go here and and because i'm the person i am i typically just stop into a used bookstore so that's my synchronistic kind of way of going about things usually garners a lot of information just going into a used bookstore. It's a, it's a repository of information, Absolutely. Absolutely. but you can have synchronistic experiences that are way more meaningful without books, you know? And, and I think what's so cool about it, and this is why I mentioned her is Tara is like a magnet. Like hmm. it was one thing for me to go out and do all this stuff but I didn't really ever have like the synchronicities that I did until Tara started Mm. joining me. And I'm not saying that people who are single out there, you know, can't participate in this kind of thing. This isn't, and some people, you know, may not have a partner that, that is receptive to this kind of information. That's fine too. But you might know somebody, you might have a friendship or a relationship with somebody who pulls this kind of magnetism out of you. And I think that's, sort of what it is with me and her you know when i when i got into this relationship with her and we started adventuring and looking around for stuff we would find stuff and it it just it was kind of being able to live in the moment that made that possible i think when you live in the moment when you're when you're centered in the moment and you're not anxious about the future you're not regretting the past you're not worried about what you might have done wrong in the past you're just stable in the moment you're you're you know and i should say the things in the past will present themselves to you in the future right that need to be dealt with that's mm-hmm. the point of being in the now it's when we look behind us and keep moving forward that we go and trip and fall yeah. and cause all kinds of problems. It's like what Carl, Carl Jung, I believe he's like, whatever you resist will continue to persist or something like that. You know, it's yeah, yeah whatever you resist will continue to persist. I like that. It's also mm-hmm. like, you know, 
if we were meant to see into the past, our eyes would be on our ass. You know, that's whoever said that it might be nice rhyme. Yeah. He might, he, that there's a, you know, famous person who probably coined that phrase, but I think that's the cool thing about synchro mysticism Mm -hmm. is it's not really like a set technique. It's something that's super personal and it happens whenever you're just got to follow your own gnosis. Yeah, it's it, and it's it's totally momentarily mm. possible. Like it's 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 almost chaotic in the fact that it could happen to you at any moment. It could happen mm. the big like you could be at rock bottom, right? And there could be a synchronicity that flips it, and next thing you know, you meet this person. Yeah, this person gives you this opportunity, and next thing you know, you're you're in an op- you know a place that you couldn't have imagined because you started thinking in the present, you started thinking in the now. Mm. And that's sort of where I've determined like, oh, maybe that's what works best compared to all the other ways I used to go about things, you know? I mean, I'm not, I'm not a master or anything, but that's, that's kind of what I think it comes down to is, is is being present. Yeah. It's really uh, amazing that you're willing to share this and open up about it. Cause it's, it's pretty cool that like, you know, sharing these stories, but you and Tara are going on these journeys, literally going into these portals and then being guided from place to place, maybe not even knowingly, but just being on this uh, path is really cool. It could inspire others to look into their local area and see what's been going on um, along those ley lines that pass through them or whether Hmm. or not they are even aware. Yeah. And you asked me about Peter. uh, So I will give you a quick answer and people should listen to my interviews with Peter. He's been mm. on other shows too since. So that's cool to see him get out there and talk to more people. But it's such a really like all encompassing book. Yeah. I did say, you know, it has a lot of information about New England, but he talks about the whole globe. So really anybody listening, no matter where you are, I recommend checking out his book. But What's interesting is he sort of sees ley lines as more of a living expression of the earth, mm-hmm. but they're not straight lines because how many straight lines are there in nature? They don't right? exist. Yeah. Right. So he plots out straight lines, but then he also shows how there are natural arcs along mm-hmm. these straight lines. And that's actually why these people, whoever they are, the Masons or, you know, whoever it is mm-hmm. that it are, planning these sort of large scale architectural works, cities and so on, Mm. they all align along these straight lines that have like circle axes that go and connect mountain ranges and rivers. And it's profound stuff, you know, it's really, it's incredible stuff. I think the, anybody can take a look at his work and whether or not you're like actual place where you're from is mentioned in his book. Mm you can take what he's doing and apply it to where you are. And he even has 30 pages in the back of the book that are blank for you to draw your own oh, nice. arc. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's oh, cool. not like a typical, it's a very, very cool book. I can't recommend Peter enough. Yeah. And uh, yeah, his work really inspired us to, to look further, but I've only touched the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I, I interviewed him twice and I still have so many questions uh, nice. for him. So 
you know that's always a good sign man it's like a you know it's an infinite game it's not like a a finite quest you know we're gonna be exploring forever and it's pretty cool you've definitely inspired me and i'll be moving to dallas texas in about a month and i'm really cool i'm really excited to find what cool connections i will you know step into once i'm in that separate portal here but it in the end even though texas is separate from connecticut it is cool to consider that this land that we're on this earth that we're living with as a living being is connected through and through no matter where you are and um when you brought up michael Bwan, i'm really happy that you did because i just recently interviewed someone who was baptized in the susquehanna river and he had this transformative experience and Oddly enough, you know, he was baptized under like a, a Christian church, but he eventually went on to uh, embrace heathenism and like, you know, uh, um, connect with Odin and these kinds of uh, entities. Pretty cool. But I'm curious, when you first connected with Michael Wan and you started this great show, Your Handbook for the Apocalypse, which I'm a big fan of, and I really love just one particular story about you and Tara finding this bird on the side of the street and you got to rescue him. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious, how do you think your perception has changed since you started working with Michael Wan or producing the show together? And what do you see coming up next in as, as, as far as this exploration, like you had mentioned, even after speaking with Peter shampoo twice, you still have questions. So like what, what still bugs you, Mark? Like, what are you still curious about whether that's in Connecticut or, within the surrounding area of the Susquehanna? Well, for Peter specifically, just to finish that point up, uh, there's so many things that I still could learn from Peter. Mm -hmm. I mean, his book is very detailed. I made it sound maybe more simple than it is. Uh, There's a lot, you know, I'll show you. I don't know if you're putting a video version of this out, but if you do, this is what the book looks like. You should buy it. I definitely recommend picking up a copy and he does have texas in there uh texas is included i think in uh in a in a certain alignment and then there's also a couple strange sites down there that i'll tell Mm -hmm. you about uh later on but when it comes to michael Wan, you know i had been a fan of his i listened to his interviews on the higher side chats many times i had found him interviewed in other shows as well i never watched much of his YouTube channel, admittedly, until I actually got in touch with him. Mm. But yeah, it was interesting. The first conversation I ever had with Mike was over Zoom. It was at my old house Mm. where I grew up. And yeah, we just sort of connected on a couple different things. And eventually I made my way out to Pennsylvania. I visited him. And to be quite honest, I don't know if I'd be in this relationship that I'm so grateful for with Tara if I hadn't done that because a conversation that I had with Mike really sort of changed the way I was looking at things and, Mm -hmm. and helped me, uh, you know, get a, a a consciousness upgrade, I'll say, Mm -hmm. you know, cause I think when you start to, you know, especially as a wrestler, especially as a martial artist, when you start to realize that you're always in a state of self-improvement, you can always improve, you could always get better you start to find people who are doing things at a level that you'd like to be doing things. You know, Mike is researching things at a level that 
I'd like to be researching things. He he understands the world uh, at a level that, you know, someone his age with the amount of time he's put into this deserves to be at, right? So for me, you know, obviously as someone uh, significantly, not that significantly, he's not that old, much older than me, but he's a little bit older than me. And, Uncle Mike, right? <laughs> yeah, he's my Uncle Mike now. So, and that's really, you know, something that I'm so grateful for is to, to be able to talk to him, mm. uh, you know, monthly, weekly, we try to do it weekly. Doesn't always come out weekly. Mike's always got a lot going on, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been cool. As far as what I've learned from him, it's hard to like pin down. one. Yeah, or folks, two you got to listen to your handbook for the apocalypse to really get the uh, full picture, but you guys have an awesome dynamic and there's, thank you. There's so much more that you've been doing. Like I know. So, before I even knew what Alt Media United was, I was listening to religiously, like every single day, Generation Z on YouTube. Dave Zed is a brilliant guy. He was doing the uh, release, the crack, and he still is. Um, there's news updates. He would read all the headlines. And then I found uh, Alt Media United through your podcast. I looked it up and I was like, oh, there he is, Dave Zed. And you guys have done the uh, Elemental Philosophorum. Is that still going on? Have you guys uh, still kept up with that? What's been going on with that? Well, hey, if you if you listen to it, we'd love to have you on. I mean, cool. Dave is a busy guy, so we really my my idea is those sorts of podcasts work best when there's three people, okay. not two. You know, when you have just the same person, tends to get. Uh, little stale i can see that you know depending on who it is you know i right, mean right. obviously certain people do it well they have great chemistry well, you guys you had know? an awesome fluoride episode i gotta say that and it was kind of ironic because i listened to it right before i went to the dentist and i haven't oh, gone God. back to the dentist <laughs> because like i'm not i'm not trying to explain myself every time like no thanks i don't want any fluoride but you guys broke it down very well and i'm definitely impressed and like Thank you said you. dave's a very busy guy he's brilliant he's got so much going on um and so do you and among uh, these other shows, so you have your handbook for the apocalypse with Michael Wan, and you've got the Elemental Philosophorum with uh, Dave Zed. Uh, well, yeah, I would say I would say not it. I'll say it like this: so I have uh, your handbook for the apocalypse, but the Elemental Philosophorum that exists in the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy yeah. RSS right, feed. Right, so that's right. more like a. You know, especially considering Dave and I haven't done one in a few months, and mm -hmm. we we definitely will do another one awesome. in the future, for sure. That a lot of people have asked, but that's like a series, same yeah. way Illuminati confirmed is kind of exactly. Like a I was going to ask you about that one next. Yeah, yeah, and we might take Illuminati confirmed and give it its own RSS feed. Cool. Um, but for now, it's it's on my RSS feed, which is just the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy feed, and then I also do a show called the Free Thinker Society podcast with Mike Romanelli. Yeah, the new co-host co of that show. Yeah. 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 Nice, man. How did that all get, get started? Because I, ironically, I, I heard Dave, Dave Zed on that podcast. I was like, wow, this is cool. I've never heard of the Free Thinker Society before. And here's, here's Dave, a guy that I respect and admire very much. And now you're the co-host. Uh, how did that all happen? Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I actually booked Dave on there. Uh, the first time, and I think they ended up not releasing the episode because they had some trouble with <clears throat> a producer that was working with them for a while. So I stepped in to help out and edit, 
I'd been on the show several times as a guest. I go down there every now and then um, to the dojo of comedy, Sam Tripoli's Comedy oh, nice. Club in New yeah. Jersey. And there's a podcast studio upstairs, and that's where that podcast takes place. Mike is the owner of the comedy club, co-owner with Sam, and then he's the owner of the you know premises. There's a restaurant. There's a uh, obviously a podcast studio. So hmm. I've been there a couple times uh, in studio to to do the show, and then I've done it over Zoom. And given that Mike is not technically inclined and i am i told him i'm like hey buddy i'll do um i'll do the show with you nice. and i'll produce it i'll edit it i'll do all that stuff and i think it sounds a lot better than it used to the quality is a lot better cool we're getting better guests on so and yeah it's you know it's cool to uh cool to be able to have different shows this show i kind of take a back seat and when I feel like, you know, because Mike's the host, you know, so Mike takes over, Mike asks the questions. And mm -hmm. if there's maybe a spot where I can come in with a, a question or a clarification or ask the guest something, I do that. But for the most part, you know, I'm the guy making sure everything sounds good, making sure right. the guest gets there and all that good stuff. So, so yeah, I do a lot when it comes to podcasting, but it's all thanks to Sam Tripoli. I mean, the first time I went to the dojo, it was to see sam uh it was like the third time i had ever um met him mm -hmm. the first time i met him i guess they don't really count that because it was more like i was a fan and then we met met was that when a, you gave him the caballion yeah yeah and then oh, okay. and that's that's what led to me being on his patreon and then eventually i came to see him at a show in uh philadelphia and nice. that's when i started working for him um you know, a few weeks before mm -hmm. that, but that was like when it was official, you know? Right. So, and then after that, I met Mike when I came and saw him in New Jersey and he'll be there again in July, actually. Oh, right um, on, right on. Yeah. July 16th, Sam will be back at the dojo of comedy in, in New Jersey. So I have a question about Sam and he's a great guy. He's got a great show. Tinfoil hat is one of my favorites. And I'm so happy that you guys have connected and that these opportunities continue to open themselves up to you. And, and I want to ask you, Sam says this a lot. He says that if he ever becomes black-pilled, that he'd stop doing tinfoil hat. So I want to ask you, how do you prevent yourself from getting black-pilled? Because there's uh, this concept I've been playing with where it's like you have your right brain and your left brain, right? So it's like, Mark, you got conspiracies on your left brain and spirituality on your right brain. And like somewhere up here in your third eye, they all meet and co-mingle. And when you know all that you've been learning about and you've been absorbing information how do you personally prevent yourself from getting too lost in the sauce or getting blackpilled like what would you say well, just remembering that fear is not your friend you know i think that's the that's the thing and i think sam just says that to reassure people that that's not the type of show he wants to do and right. unfortunately sometimes the guests bring that attitude mm -hmm. to the show and there's, you know, really only thing I can do about that as a booker is just be more detailed with my research before I reach out to somebody and just make sure I get a good sense. But then again, if we only had, you know, white pill, if that's even a thing, I don't particularly like the pill metaphor, yeah. but we'll use that analogy sure. or, you know, for the sake of 
you know, the conversation. I don't think that anyone should ever just get one side of it. So we're going to have black pill guests on. I think Sam's point is like, Hey, this show is never going to leave you on a bad note. We're never going to end the show on, uh, you know, hopelessness or doom and gloom. And unfortunately there's a business, there's an economy of selling fear and it's not just the mainstream media. It's the truth media. It's the Mm -hmm. truth community that does it too sometimes. And, that doesn't mean that they're a shill, but you got, you know, some people want to make money and you realize that like, oh, hey, uh, <laughs> there are paranoid people that listen to my show. They'll probably buy uh, six years of, of foods, you know, for their basement uh, yeah. pack away in case an apocalypse comes, you know, right. like that. That's like Alex Jones. Right. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that's not like Tripoli. You know, he doesn't no. sell that kind of stuff on his show. He sells dick pills and all. You know, so <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah. has. Blue their way of, yeah, everybody <laughs> has their, their way of making money. I think there's no shame in that. We got a, mm-hmm. a value for value system. You know, people find value in the show. And sometimes that's the best way to make money with ads. But I, I think, you know, to get back to the point, you know, Sam is who he is and mm. and he has had a sort of spiritual awakening. Yeah. You no, know, I can't speak for him, but that's what I've heard and he said that to me personally. So I think that with that we're going to see his perspective brighten a mm. little bit in the sense that if you maybe go back and listen to some older episodes, he might not have that same optimism. So it, that's not my doing. That's just the nature of his yeah, life. His spiritual journey. Yeah. And it's yeah, really cool I'll, that he always talks about you start from zero, right? Like, you know, it's mm. interesting. Do you uh, ever think about a point when you were starting from zero and like, you know, I mean, we're all uh, kind of on this roller coaster and we're going up and down. And like I know right now I'm thinking back to a low, low point for me when I was dealing with the vaccine mandate and I had to kind of hurdle through those challenging times of this, pandemic which uh, i thought i thought was over i guess we're entering chapter two but you know and i remained hopeful listening to podcasts like yours reminded me that there were people out there that were thinking like i was and that were um valuing liberty and freedom in the way that i was and being open-minded and i'm i'm, I'm curious if you do remember a point where you started at zero i guess the the question about the black pill was more of like how did you get out of it or how do you prevent yourself from getting too far down uh, lost in the sauce? Like I said earlier, <laughs> we have to start at zero every time you learn something new, right on, you know, like you can't carry a bias into anything. Mm. I think that's where people go wrong when they start fearing the worst. Like they mm. think the worst is near and then they start interpreting every sign as a sign that the, you know, the worst is here. Mm. You know, it goes from the worst is near to, oh, the worst is here. Mm. And I think people create their own reality. So as far as black pill goes and and becoming black pilled, it's just about understanding what you're absorbing, what you're intaking, what you're interacting with. You know, it's like Terrence McKenna said, create your own culture. Don't don't go and and become a part of someone else's culture, create your own culture. So not saying that's what my entire goal is. (laughs) I don't see myself as a culture creator, but I think I'm already a part of a pretty 
awesome alternative culture that right on. a lot of people like yourself are also a part of. And together we're all creating mm-hmm. uh, a way out to your right. point about the mandates and whatnot. Yeah. People have overwhelmingly agreed that that's bull and it deserves to be, you know, treated as such and mm. people shouldn't respect these doctors for what they've done. Mm. Whether that's going to happen for everybody, no. I think a lot of people are still stuck in the old way of, or not even the old way. They're stuck in the manipulated way of thinking. Yeah. And that is going to leave them dependent on a system that is not their friend. Mm. So does that make me blackpilled saying that? Compared to maybe somebody who's totally faithful with the system, yeah, I'm blackpilled, right? So it's just a matter of perspective. Hmm. Am I blackpilled compared to maybe somebody who's telling you that the reptilian overlords are controlling every local government, right? Like that's super blackpilled. So it's just a spectrum, you know? I think the, the important thing is to stay grounded and realize that you can only change yourself, you can't change the world. You could change yourself and your world will start to change in response to the change that you create in yourself. Well said. And as we navigate this kind of dualistic white pill or black pill, it's kind of funny to keep in mind the yin and the yang, right? Like we can't have it all one way or the other. It's definitely a blend and it's really interesting. And dude, I'm uh, sure you're very busy. I know we're going to have to wrap up soon, but I appreciate your uh, time so far. And I'm curious i have two more questions for you the first question would be well when you look back so i just heard you on the grimerica show congratulations it's really cool and you had mentioned that uh you were able to interview the grimerica boys uh back in like episode 20 like what what episode are you on now yeah episode 19 or 20 i know yeah. i never remember exactly and how many episodes 20. have you done so far you're like well tomorrow is wednesday may 25th and episode 168 nice. will be released so, wow wow but, but technically i have 205 episodes published on the rss feed mm-hmm. the difference is only 168 of those are true my family thinks I'm crazy okay. episodes because if you s- subscribe and I hope everybody listening subscribes to the, my family thinks I'm crazy feed. Not only are you going to get my show, the way my show's formatted and the way it's evolved, you know, because episode 20 was very different than episode 120. Absolutely. And episode 120 sounds a little different than where we're at now too. Cause I've mm. tweaked things and changed things and evolved. And that being said, there's bonus episodes like Illuminati confirmed, which, yes, sir. you know, those don't get categorized with a number like the other ones do. Mm. Not every podcast app is going to respect that numbering system. So I apologize to people who are out there <laughs> using a different app and it just mm. doesn't make sense. And like mm. number 146 says 182 or something like mm. that. I apologize, <laughs> but he's doing his absolute best folks yeah well and i like that i you know personally when i look at a podcast app i like to see that people are using the different categories and kind of you know doing it in a way that is structured so like this conversation maybe in like a month or two months 
I'll release it on my podcast as a bonus episode. That way people who, you know, haven't found this show yet will hear you interviewing me and be like, oh, Jake's a cool guy. Let me subscribe to Loco Listens. So I did that. And for a while I had a lot of shows I was guesting on. So I just... Mm put two in a in one big episode and release right. that i like those double Friday. features yeah man yeah thank you so there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff on my rss nice. feed it's not all just one format i've i've evolved the show a bunch i yeah, used man. to have co-hosts on the show right uh, up until episode 50 when my homies they decided to part ways and mm. it's fine we're all good everybody right, right. still respects each other but yeah they were on the show for the first like 45 48 episodes here and there and yeah since then it's been myself primarily my girlfriend joins me as a co-host depending on certain guests usually she'll tell me like "Ooh, i want to talk to that person and i'll be like all right cool jump on um and she actually has been recording her own podcast lately so oh cool that'll be i think what we're gonna do is put that the first few episodes out on my RSS feed so nice. people can hear it. You know, the big, you know, my audience can hear it and hopefully subscribe to her RSS feed and she'll keep it rolling from there. Hey, congratulations to her. And, uh, you know, I, ironically, this is just kind of funny, but I, uh, I finally met one thumb L I met L oh, cool. yesterday and, uh, she brought up Tara cause I guess they're uh, friends. So that, that's pretty cool. So Hopefully she can get L on the uh, podcast. L is one. Yeah, we got to do. We all got to go on a hike before you yeah. go to Texas because I think they were planning a hike and we ended up not being able to make it. So yeah, we ought to L if you're listening. I, I'm sure she'll listen to this. She's got a podcast called Speed Bumps. Bumps. I know you yeah. were a guest on that show. I listened to that. Great episode. You got you got deep. I liked it. I I actually. Thank you. When I listen to that, I'm like, you know what? This kid, he's got balls. He's not afraid to talk about who he really is. And I think that could be, that could be, you know, something that strengthens, strengthens you, you. as a podcaster, you know, yeah. putting yourself, cause Elle's, mm-hmm. you know, she's a great person to talk to for that. You know, she's starting her podcast, right? you know, and, and you got, you know, vulnerable, which is something that I think has done me well with my podcast. Absolutely. I'm not afraid to share parts of my story. And I, I call myself mystic Mark, but I don't mm-hmm. pretend like I'm some kind of like guru or something. And you know, I'm just a normal guy who's mm. into mysticism. You know, the ironic thing about that Mark is that when I first met you uh, about a month ago, when I first started thinking about making this podcast, uh, I was oh, very it nervous. Was like, it, was, it was like two months ago. Two months it ago, was cold. Yeah. It was cold. It was freezing, man. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was like a little over two months ago, and uh, I, I bought this nice uh, wire wrap. It was cool. Yeah, to thanks for you putting and, that on. I, of course, I, I noticed yeah. that. I've been wearing it every day since, man. It's like I kind of right came away from that conversation, as I mentioned earlier in the uh, in the intro. You recommended, you know, I just do my own thing and you know do it my way and uh, kind of like listen to that inner gnosis. So I'm really happy that you. Um, have supported and encouraged me and I love seeing new podcasts pop up on the Alt Media United platform. Do you want to tell people if they don't know what is Alt Media United and how did this all get started for you? Yeah, so when I started working for Sam, <clears throat> I started booking for his spiritual podcast and I started booking guests for his main podcast in Foil Hat, which I still do. I book for all of his um shows besides cash daddy's broken simulation and uh conspiracy social club i don't 
I don't work for those uh, individual shows, but everything else I pretty much book for. Mm-hmm. And that kind of evolved into networking with people and, and communicating with all these really interesting people. And I thought, well, this is cool. It definitely is a, it gave me an upper hand, so to speak, as a new podcaster. Cause you know, like I said, I had the Crimerica show guys on my show episode 20. And by the way, those dudes are super kind. They're super nice. I don't think they would have cared whether or not I worked for Sam. They probably still would have been on my show, but you know, it it gave me the confidence to reach out to these people. Like Charlie Robinson was another Mm -hmm. big guest that I had on early Chris Milligan, Chris Mm -hmm. Bennett. um, And there's so many others that I'm forgetting, but you know, I kind of worked my way around and, and met new people. And I went on Sam's show to talk about Alistair Crowley. And that right. was a very interesting episode, <laughs> kind of heated episode, very heated. controversial episode. But after that, there was an episode, two episodes later, with a guest named Alex Sakaris, host of the mm-hmm. Skeptico podcast. Skeptico. Yeah, and he mentioned me in the episode. So I'm like, okay, this guy's obviously he listened to my episode. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Let me talk to him. So I hit him up and I'm like, hey, be a guest on my show. It ended up being, you know, episode seven. It was very early into the days of my podcast. At at first, I only put like two episodes out a month. Now mm-hmm. I do like 10 episodes a month or something nice. like that. Nice. So it's definitely changed a lot. But yeah, so. After I talked to Alex, he sort of, I guess, saw something that he liked in me and asked me to start helping him find guests. And Mm. that evolved into us brainstorming about Alt Media United, Mm. what eventually would become Alt Media United. And I realized like, hey, not only could this be a great way to, you know, promote our respective shows, but also a lot of podcasters maybe aren't aware that there are these tools out there that they could be using to make sure that they're not banned on YouTube or all these places so that if they do get banned on YouTube, they don't lose their whole audience. They have backups. They have, Mm. you know, someone like Matt Raymer from content safe who goes and downloads all your videos and stores them in a satellite somewhere. Right. So we have, we have a lot of um, sort of, ideas that evolved into me creating a site promoting people's podcasts on Mm. the site figuring out you know what we can implement into the website without making it like too constrictive i didn't want Mm. anybody to have to pay me to be a part of it i didn't want anybody to have to pay like a monthly fee Uh, i did ask people for support when we had to pay for the website Mm. um, fee a couple months back and people were kind to do that, but it's all voluntary. You know, the idea is to promote independent podcasters. So to go and make like a network of people, that's kind of the opposite of what we wanted to do. Mm. Um, so yeah, education is a really important goal, helping people because there's a lot of really smart people that are creating podcasts, whether or not they're smart about podcasts themselves. Well, that's, you know, that's another story. Mm. Not everybody who's really intelligent on a podcast knows all of the ways they could be, you know, utilizing the technology behind podcasting. Mm. So that's something I'm curious about. And I'm the type of person who, when I like something, I try to figure it out. I try to learn every little aspect. Mm. So 
everything you hear in my show comes from me. The intro song, I found a person to create that for me. He yeah. wrote the lyrics, uh, and I've used it ever since. And then everything else that you hear in the show, you know, the music I find somewhere, I put it, I mix it into the show, I record everything, I mm-hmm. edit it. So, you know, having that experience allows me to help other people understand maybe where they could be improving things or what tools they need to use when they get started. And Mm. that's the kind of relationship alt media United has like created between me and the podcasters at this point in time. But as far as what we're planning on doing in the future, it's a lot more hopefully live events, get togethers, conferences, things like that. And, And even just helping people, set that up themselves not that alt media united is going to have like an alt media united festival maybe that'll happen but if it's like just one podcast like a my family thinks i'm crazy festival or right, a local right. listens festival right <laughs> and you know like if we can help you facilitate that that would be great because there are people within the cooperative who do stuff like that so mm. i think the the really the power of being united in this decentralized way is the the cooperation, the collaboration and kind of like the insider kind of like, Hey, this is how we did it. And mm. realizing that with these podcasts, there's no competition because there's right. endless amounts Symbiotic. of listeners. Yeah. yeah. And really we want more podcasts like this to be around because what mm. we're doing is we're flooding the algorithm so people find weirder and weirder shows. Right on. And then they naturally find these really cool shows instead of the mainstream garbage shows. <laughs> and and then, you know, then people have a, a true access to this higher form of education. And sure, a lot of it might be crap. And there's people that speculate wildly and there's people who believe in theories that we don't agree with. But the point is we can all openly discuss them. Mm-hmm. Like I've had people on my show that I don't agree with. That's fine. Good for you, man. Yeah. I invite them back. I invite them back to keep talking because it's not about whether I think they're wrong or not. If they're totally like spinning a yarn of, of disinformation, I'd Mm. consider not having them back on. But other than that, it's like, Hey, let's get to the bottom of this. Cause I don't think that I'm responsible for my listeners uh, attention, you know, like they, determine what they're attending to their discretion right so if they don't like it that's up to them you know right. if they don't believe it that's up to them if they do believe it that's up to them you know so i, I yeah, kind of let my listeners decide uh what what conclusions to make and I'm as one of your own, listeners but... you know i'm grateful that you entertain these ideas like even if you don't agree with them it's it's really cool that you like create that space to have that conversation go down and you're always respectful. You're always considerate. And it's pretty cool that, you know, there are many topics, like I mentioned ley lines earlier, but there's so many topics that you've brought into my awareness that, you know, had you have not um, engaged in those conversations, like many people like myself would have been like, well, I definitely learned something new today. And it's, uh, it's a real, a real blessing, man. And you've been very generous with your, uh, with your time, Mark. And it's been a real pleasure. I do have a ritual closing question for you. Sure. Because it's been one hell of a journey, and um, I'm sure you're very proud of how far you've you've come since episode one. And it's really cool. just getting started. Just getting started, my friend. So when you look back, uh, 
when you look back to who you were, that could be who you were yesterday or last last month, last decade, however far back you want to go. I uh, just want you to pretend that you have to give Mark some advice in the past. So if you were to give guidance or some words of wisdom to your past self, what would you say to Mark in the past? Mm. Wow. This is a, this is a big question. Advice I would give to myself in the past would be to (laughs) save money, (laughs) slow down, don't drive your car into the ground Mm. and invest in a a car that isn't a Nissan (laughs) because (laughs) Nissans are, are terrible. I don't, I don't know why I got hitched on a Nissan, but geez, man, that really has been a thorn in my side lately, not being able to drive my own car. Uh, so I would, I would definitely tell my younger self to be more financially responsible and definitely (laughs) more, uh, concerned with having a reliable vehicle because right now, what I really want to do is keep journeying, keep going out, even if it's just around the state or to neighboring states, Mm -hmm. There's so many fun, interesting places that aren't tourist attractions. You know, they might be hiking locations or things like that. But what I want to do is connect with sacred spaces, you know, and and right now, because I'm sort of limited, uh, I have my collection of books and I'll just explore and travel in the worlds of of the realms of my mind, you know, with the books for now. Um, But yeah, you know, I'm pretty... I'm pretty set on a belief of mine that is not to go back and think about like what I could have done Mm -hmm. better. Like not that I don't have regrets or not that I haven't looked back and reflected and said like, Oh, never do that again. Or, or, you know, like certainly of course I've done that, but I definitely don't get hung up on the past. You know, I don't have a lot of regrets. I think that's important, you know, is to be able to see, the ups and downs of your life as mm. leading to something greater and leading exactly. you to what you're about to do. So like I said, you know, the podcast is just beginning. I listen to podcasts that have thousands of episodes. I mean, OBDM just right. had their thousands, thousands, thousands <laughs> episodes. Sorry about that. Okay. Tinfoil hats at like almost episode 600 higher side chats. He doesn't even number his episodes. He's got so many now. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm definitely resting on the shoulders of podcast giants that, you know, stand as my inspiration and, and I'm kind of crafting my own style within that and doing my best to emulate my inspiration, but at the same time, pay homage and be authentic, you know, and and true to who I am and create a show that I would want to listen to, which is what I've done, you know, so to, to tell my younger self anything, it would probably, you know, screw up the timeline. So I would, I probably <laughs> would, point. you know, point. I mean, obviously the wise thing to say is, Oh, save more money or buy a better car. But yeah, no, really, realistically, all the mistakes I made with money and cars and all that led me to right where I am now. So, um, I'm not really regretting a single thing. I'm pretty content and happy with where I'm at. You know, like I said, I've got the the podcast that's growing. I've got, uh, you know, an apartment that I'm in. Yeah, now. man. Congrats. And on top of that, uh, my lovely girlfriend who is here with me. And 
like I said, having a podcast of her own real soon. Nice. Oh, I'm looking forward to hearing that, Tara. And congratulations, my friend. This has been really cool. And I'm very excited for this journey to continue. Like you said, you're just getting started. And you've reminded me of a, a great truth that life does happen to us, but it always happens for us. And it's a great mm-hmm. reminder, my friend. Just like we were speaking about earlier, you've ended on such an inspiring note. And I have a profound amount of gratitude for you, Mark. I'm really happy we got to speak tonight and I'm looking forward to uh, doing this again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Definitely would like to go for a hike or something, get together in person. Maybe we'll do a walking tour or something. Oh, right. Uh, Before you, before you go and become a cowboy down there. I'm going to go visit Kyle from the big dumb podcast. (laughs) He's going to show me the uh, ways of Texas, but Hey man, People probably already know where to find you, but why don't you just remind them, where can people connect with you? Right on. MyFamilyThinksI'mCrazy.com. You can find my show there and the other shows that I mentioned, Your Handbook for the Apocalypse and Freethinker Society. I just finished updating it last night. So now you just scroll down to the bottom of the page. You see everything on my website. No more, no more menu. You could still go to the menu, but everything's on the front page now. And, uh, And yeah, that has everything. Merch, it has the podcast itself, it has Patreon, Rockfin, Uh, I have my Illuminati Confirmed show, which some people who recently left us comments on iTunes don't like, but please, if you like this conversation, go give me a nice five-star review and bump that up. Juan and uh, Chris, by the way, you guys are killing it. And I think people have come to my show because it is kind of serious, although we do take an like a laid back approach to these subjects. Mm. We don't, we don't like, I'm not like tinfoil where we're, you know, Sam's funny. He's a comedian. He's making jokes. He's Mm. talking about things that are happening in that moment in time, Mm. you know, for my show, it's, it's serious. You know, I, Mm. I, I'm laid back. I let my guests explain themselves, but it's pretty serious. And, uh, Illuminati confirmed is a departure from that. We're very, uh, we're not serious. I mean, Chris and Juan each have their own unique, style and take yeah. and at the end of the day we all just kind of enjoy busting each other's balls a great and, trifecta for sure and then we hit the guests with that energy and see yeah. what happens <laughs> what is it anything you say or do can and will be used against you by we three fools and i screwed it up on the latest <laughs> uf uh the 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 latest one we had the guys from the ufo garage on nice. uh they have a really cool ufo podcast um and that episode will be out for free in the first month of june but if you're on the patreon or rockfin you can get that episode now but jake this has been a blast an honor you're very kind you're a great host i'm impressed by Thank your you. your skills i think this is one of the first dozen episodes you've probably recorded. So kudos to you. Uh, I'm glad you were kind enough to have me here. And uh, I look forward to seeing where your show goes, especially now that you're going to go down to Texas. Are you going to Amarillo where, where, uh, no, where Kyle uh, is, or are you just going to go visit him? 
I'll be in the Dallas area, but I do want to go visit Kyle. If you're listening, Kyle, what's up, buddy? And well, shit, yeah, man, um, Dallas area. Well, all right, cool. So I, that's good to know because I got friends in Texas, and now I have one more friend in yeah, Texas. Yeah, man. So my friends actually live in the same area where, uh, you know, Alex Stein, Primetime ninety nine. He's been doing <laughs> his uh, his charades, his shenanigans out there. So oh god, yeah, right all in right. Plano, well, you got to yeah, you got to hit Alex Stein with. So we'll 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 talk. Maybe we'll like love that. plan a prank or something. You got to prank Alex Stein for me. He'll never see it coming. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Let's uh, let's get on that. But yeah, man, uh, you're welcome back anytime, and I appreciate you being so generous today. And uh, happy Tuesday, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, that was fun. That was Mystic Mark of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. You'll also find him on the Susquehanna Alchemy RSS feed with Michael Wan on your handbook for the apocalypse. Mark also has a great show with Juan from the Juan Han Juan podcast and Chris from the Mensa podcast called Illuminati Confirmed. You guys got to check it out. It'll make you laugh and it's very profound. Lots of good stuff. Thank you, Mark. You really are a true inspiration. I don't want to like say that just to anybody because Mark is definitely someone who helped me get set up mentally with this podcasting endeavor and it's been really fun and i appreciate people like mark like juan like chris who are out here to get some knowledge and some wisdom imparted in their episodes and they're also having a good time doing it so it's pretty cool glad we got to connect today make sure you guys go and subscribe to the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast definitely one of the formative podcasts that opened me up to this whole community because my family definitely thinks I'm fucking crazy and my friends too but I still love you guys and happy you're listening to this outro because this is a very special episode and like I said earlier although Mark's been building this podcast for quite a while he's just getting started folks so make sure you connect with Mark you can also find the my family thinks I'm crazy telegram group chat which is full of interesting people interesting ideas a good meme here and there you'll definitely like it and of course folks if your family thinks that you're crazy if you're in that kind of boat where you're speaking your truth and nobody's really seeming to understand it except for maybe a select few friends whoever make sure you listen to mark's podcast he's got a great variety of guests he breaks down conspiracies and spirituality in a very poetic way and i want to say for sure very kind person so great to be with you mark and let me remind you guys that if you want to join another great telegram group (laughs) feel free to join the local listeners community always got to plug that place because it's really cool to connect with people who listen to the episodes and have a nice place to chat a central location where we can drop memes share resources and just chat chat about whatever now i want to give a special shout out to l We uh, spoke about the Speed Bumps podcast. Make sure you guys go check out Elle's show. And above all else, I want to leave you with a very important and humbling message that always gets me in a good place every time I say it. Wherever you are, be here, be now, and be you.